So I've been dwelling on something recently. I have no idea why it's like this or who started this trend, but it's something that I feel urgently needs to be discussed. Why do the portion sizes at restaurants get smaller the more upper class they are? Is it capitalism? Did someone stop and say, hey, let's make the world worse, specifically through hiking up the price of tiny foods? I've experienced this specifically at a wedding recently. It was a beautiful place on the water with sweeping views and luxury decor. The hors d'oeuvres started getting passed around. They were in these like cute little plates and they were good, but I was like, okay guys, time for mains. I'm hungry. And to my horror, I found out that they were the mains. It was awful and I was still so hungry. And it was sad because you could tell that the bride and groom had paid a lot for this place. But the portions were so small that they missed the point of having a meal together. They forgot to feed people. I left starving and found myself in the Macca's drive-thru on the way home, paying much less than the cost of wedding food for something larger and way more satisfying. So like that fancy place, missed the point of sharing a meal. In our passage today, we see that some people missed the point in relation to being a follower of God. So today's passage in Mark 7 jumps into Jesus' ministry after he's already done lots of stuff. He's fed the 5,000 with just some fish and loaves. He walks on water and he heals some sick people in Genesaret. At this point, we know that Jesus' following attracted people. He was becoming well-known for his signs and wonders, and it constantly ruffled the feathers of the Jewish leaders, and they were sceptical about Jesus being the Son of God. So in our passage today, that one that Sam read, the Pharisees and the other teachers of the law were gathered around Jesus, and they began to question him on why his disciples hadn't completed ceremonial hand-washing before their meal. This was a tradition of the elders that the Pharisees and the Jews followed. It originated in Old Testament law. The process involved rinsing your hands in a very specific way with a closed fist. The process wasn't actually sanitizing their hands, but for ceremonial purposes only. It was actually intended for the priesthood, not for every citizen. Yes, it was tradition for everyone to do it, but it was law for the priesthood. It was not something that would apply to everyone, but the Pharisees were applying it to everyone. The disciples hadn't done this before eating, so the Pharisees asked Jesus, why the disciples are eating with unclean or defiled hands. In reply, Jesus reveals that ceremonial hand washing and all the other traditions that the Jews were trying desperately to uphold 
are coming from the wrong place in their hearts. They had been using these traditions to make themselves feel like good people who were better than everyone else. Their traditions, in some cases, even contradict passages of Scripture. Jesus proves the inconsistency to them by showing them an example of how their traditions contradict the Word of God. In verse 9, Jesus says, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Then again in verse 13 says, You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. The Pharisees and the Jews were so caught up in trying to live a godly way through obeying traditions that they thought were from God that they ended up going against God's word. They conflicted the Old Testament commandments from God with traditions they had created themselves. The Pharisees thought these traditions were what God wanted and what you needed to be a good follower of God. Jesus tells them what they should focus on instead through a passage of scripture originating from Isaiah 29. Look with me at verse 6 if you have it open or it's on the screens. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's the hearts of the Pharisees that matter. It's their hearts being their belief, their desires, and their affections that matter, not being devoted to traditions. We can even see people in this very passage who have been focusing on the heart rather than the law. The disciples, the men who gave up everything to follow the Son of God, who trust and believe in Him. A heart that is focused on following God is way more important than holding on to tradition. What Jesus is saying about traditions in this passage is radical. The people receiving this would have been absolutely shocked. They might have been like, aren't these the traditions that help us to follow God, to be set apart as his people? And in the face of that, Jesus takes his point even further. If the traditions are an extension of the law, maybe they could live without them. But Jesus says that even the law is not what truly matters, but rather having a heart for God. This would have been a huge claim to make. The heart is more important than the traditions that the Jews were creating and upholding, but it was even more important than the Old Testament law they clung to. He proceeds to absolutely astound the Pharisees yet again. He calls a crowd to him and reveals that nothing outside a person can defile them. It only goes into their stomach and then out of the body. This is based on an Old Testament law that forbid them from eating certain foods, that were deemed unclean, things like pork and shellfish. In the Old Testament, you had to cling tightly to these rules to be godly. But now, Jesus is telling them that all these foods that were banned don't make you unclean. And in this, declares that all foods are clean. 
these things were only ever a way to help the followers of God live as a set-apart nation. Paul tells us in Romans 3.20 that the law was only ever to teach God's people about their sin. The laws that were created had built-in sacrificial systems that paid, for the, paid the price for when God, God's people sinned. The whole point of the law back in the Old Testament was to, to desire to live in the way that God wants you to and stir your affections for the God that gave you sacrifices to pay for your sins. Jesus declaring all foods clean here shows us that what's going on in your heart is more important than the law. But also, we can see from the purpose of the law that it was always to guide the heart. It clearly showed them their sin and helped them understand their need for repentance. The law gave the people boundaries that would keep them away from the things that would harm their ability to have a relationship with God. The Romans passage shows us that the law was only ever for guidance and to deepen our knowledges and affections for God. So, if not washing your hands in a specific way doesn't make you unclean, and eating all foods doesn't make you unclean, and not following Old Testament law doesn't make you unclean, then what is it? Clearly, we all aren't perfect. There's something inherently wrong with us. What actually defiles a person? Jesus tells us in verses 20 to 23 that it is in fact the evil in our hearts that makes us unclean. He shows us this through a list of examples of how the sin in our hearts manifests. Sexual immorality, theft, murder. Something I think is really powerful about this is that at first you might read it and go, oh, it's okay, I've never murdered someone. My heart mustn't be that unclean. But then we keep reading and we see greed, envy, slander, arrogance. And I think to myself, hmm, that's starting to sound a bit like me. I've been greedy. I've been arrogant. We all have unclean hearts because of our sin. And the price of sin is death. So what should we do? The sin in our hearts is a real problem. How are we supposed to fix it? God's word tells us that the wages of sin is death and that we have all sinned and fallen short. Thankfully, Mark has been pointing us towards the solution for the last few weeks. The only option is for someone else to fix our hearts for us. We need to turn to Jesus. In Jesus' perfection, he paid the price for our sin. That is the gift from God. Through God's grace, we have the opportunity to have our hearts washed clean. All the Old Testament laws and sacrifices 
were only ever a way to point God's chosen people towards their need for a saviour. A saviour that you and I now have access to. God wants us to accept this gift and it was always his plan for there to be no other way to inherit eternal life, only through Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus and commit to focusing on God in our hearts. Things can so easily get in the way of us accepting this gift. Just like the wedding I went to, the venue missed the point of a meal by not serving enough food, and all the guests left empty. The Pharisees were too busy being distracted by things that aren't a matter of the heart. Like the Pharisees, we can often miss the point of following Jesus and end up chasing traditions and practices that leave us empty. Having a heart focused on God looks like having our beliefs and affections moving towards him. There are things that we can do in this life to draw closer to God, to help us fight the evil that comes from our sinful hearts. We can turn to Jesus through reading our Bibles and committing ourselves to fellowship and prayer. The Bible tells us what we know about how to be a Christian. And without it, we're no better than the Pharisees making up their own traditions. Prayer is how we communicate with God. We can give him our struggles and ask for support in how to turn to Jesus. We can also meet together as Christians and keep one another accountable. Keep in mind, though, these things aren't a checklist that make you a Christian. They're only a vessel for growing in knowledge and stirring our affections for God. It's most importantly a matter of the heart that makes you a Christian. It's having your belief and trust firmly planted in the knowledge that in God's grace, he sent his son to die on the cross to save you. Romans tells us, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We also have to acknowledge that we can sometimes think that doing Christian things is all you need to do. The things that the Pharisees were caught up in were originally based on Old Testament law. They weren't sinful or evil originally, but were distorted and changed to no longer be about God. What things are you doing that seems like it pleases God, but you don't have the right heart behind? For some of you, it may be attending youth group tonight. Are you here for fellowship, to grow in your faith, or to see your friends? Seeing your friends isn't bad, but are you acting with your heart in the right place? You might be here tonight and you don't know Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to think strongly about why you do things. 
being a Christian means doing things in response to our salvation through Jesus. Jesus shows us in tonight's passage that no matter what you do, it's pointless and possibly even harmful if your heart's in the wrong place. So where's your heart? Is your heart, being your affections and beliefs, shaped by people who have influence? That one person at school who doesn't like you? That popular group that you just wished you were a part of? You might be doing things like showing love and kindness to people just because it feels right. And that's okay, but it doesn't make you a Christian. That's not an evil attitude to have. But Jesus shows us that actions are empty when your hearts aren't in the right place. If you need to talk about this more with someone, please grab one of your leaders. They would love to encourage and help you make a decision. If you want to be a Christian, you need to think about the heart of the matter. It's not about doing Christian things, even though they might be good. It's not about being a good person, even though that might be good. And it's not even about coming to youth group, even, we know, even though we know that's good. It's about a relationship with Jesus as your saviour, where your actions and beliefs are aligned or getting to be aligned with his. So let's all examine our hearts. I'm going to pray that we can do this well. And then we're going to go into it a bit more deeper in our response groups. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the book of Mark and how it can guide us in our faith. I pray that in response to tonight's passage that we've heard, that you would help guide our hearts towards you. I pray that you would help us focus on this and not get caught up in the things that we think are good and instead act intentionally and be thinking strongly about our relationships with you. Amen.